moving your career further faster. That's the mission behind Cascading Leadership. Each week, we're bringing you stories of women, immigrants, members of the global majority who have risen to the ranks of senior leadership in the world of business. Get ready to gather the insights of some of the world's best business leaders and apply those to your career. If you're interested in sales and marketing effectiveness, organizational effectiveness, talent strategy, DEI, or HR tech, tune in. We're going to share with you what they don't teach you in business school. Welcome to the show. Welcome to today's episode of Cascading Leadership. I am your friendly neighborhood talent strategy nerd, Dr. Jim. And with me, we have our featured guest, Stu Hynek. And we are going to cover a tremendous amount of information in this episode. So in this episode, we're actually, through conversation, going to learn how getting meetings is a critical success factor and how to effectively get those with anybody that you want to meet. We're actually going to also learn how to actually grow your business like a weed. We're going to talk through how to create an unfair business advantage as a competitor in the world like weeds do. And there's a lot of weed talk in this conversation and not the kind that you might be thinking. So just programming note. And most importantly, we're going to learn how to have your business spread and expand like a weed. So it's going to be a phenomenal conversation. Stu, super excited to have you on the show. For those that aren't aware of your background and experience, why don't you just share a little bit about about your experience as the most interesting man in the world? I think that's already taken, but I'm going to use it for no, you anyways. I think there's a guy on a beer commercial that's the most interesting guy in the world. <laughs> I'm not, I'm definitely not. But I do have a crazy background. I'm a cartoonist. I'm a marketer. I've, I've mixed the two my whole career. And what I realized as I've taken this journey that they really what I've done is mix the two because I've done that in service of growth, always in, in service of growth. So growth has always been that central key objective in everything I've done, probably everything that everyone listening is doing in their careers as well. So I started out, I mentioned cartooning. When I started, I recruited a lot of my heroes of cartooning into my group as I was this group that I formed to produce direct mail campaigns that featured personalized cartoons as the hook into the piece and to get people, actually hooked to pull people all the way through responding and paying for their some magazine subscriptions, for example. I did it a lot for magazines. But I, I put this group of cartoonists together. So Gahan Wilson and Eldon Dadini from Playboy and, and The New Yorker, and then a bunch of others from The New Yorker, Arnie Levin, Bob Mankoff, et cetera. Just a Leo Cullum, how could I forget Leo? So amazing cartoonists that became my friends and ultimately my mentor. So sometimes in my bio, I say that I'm, I've been, I was raised by wolves, not really raised by wolves, but mentored by the, some of the best cartoonists in the world. We're just scratching the surface of some of the really cool things that uh, you've been able to do with that experience. And I want to get into that uh, in just a little bit, but there's one thing that I'm going to actually put a pin in right now, because I think what you did throughout your career, tremendous relevance today in the world of work and, and especially if you're on the sales side. So we're going to get to that uh, a little bit later. You eventually ended up at the Wall Street Journal as a cartoonist. And then you had a pretty significant amount of success as a marketer. Tell us a little bit about, about that experience. Sure. I, and to clarify, I'm not on staff at the Journal. I, I contribute cartoons to a, a syndicate, yeah. but I guess that's kind of splitting hairs anyway. And they've been a client, otherwise a marketing client uh, for a long time. The thing is, I mentioned cartoons and direct mail, and and there's all the, there's an origination story, and this all ties together immediately through this story. I wanted to create direct mail campaigns when I finished college. Personalization was just becoming a factor 
in uh, in direct mail or direct response advertising. And I wanted to go to the big leagues. I wanted to go to create direct mail campaigns for the big magazine publishers. And back then, they were just so much more powerful than they are now. And that they would spend twenty-five to maybe forty-five thousand dollars per campaign to have one created, which is a nice thing if you're starting out your career. And that was a long time ago. So it was a lot of money. And and I just, if you're going to create direct mail campaigns, that was really the first part of media that that was accountable in terms of how many impressions or how many, well, really, how many pieces went out and how many responses came back. So everything was measurable and, and everything was tested. And I put together my first two test campaigns, one for Rolling Stone, the other one for Bon Appetit. Both of these featured a cartoon with personalization. So the cartoon was about the recipient. And that had never been seen before back when I did it. I think it's probably been seen a lot now based on what I've done. But it had never been done before. And everyone was worried. They were like, oh, David Ogilvy says you shouldn't use humor. It doesn't work. And But it did. It, it went out and it beat the controls for both of those magazines. So what that meant was it went out, went into test, tested against their rollout campaign, their control, in other words, the, the control that they tested, and it beat them. That meant that our first two campaigns set new records for response. It beat everything else, the best that they had. That's remarkable. And I realized that's my entree to the rest of the publishing industry. So I reached out to, I don't know, about two dozen people who are VPs of circulation or consumer marketing at the big ones, the Wall Street Journal, Condé Nast, Time Inc., et cetera. And, and I said, and I sent a print of a cartoon, an eight by 10 print of cartoon was personalized to each recipient and a note that said, this is the device I just used to beat the controls for Rolling Stone and Bon Appetit. I think we should put this to the test for your titles. I'm going to ask you, Jim, what do you think I got as a response? I'm going to actually preface it with one thing. In direct response, they were always saying 1% response is a pretty good response. That's typical response rate. It's not. We'll use that number for a moment. And 100% response rates are utterly impossible. and People shouldn't use humor in, in any form of marketing, uh, says Ogilvy, David Ogilvy, and so on. So what do you suppose I got as a response to that, Kim? I already know how this story works out because I have this book and I have this book. They're both your books. And I use this stuff all the time, or at least versions of this stuff all the time in what I do. So I know the answer. Why don't you tell everybody, I'll introduce this ahead of your answer. You've built an entire career of proving people wrong on, oh, you're never going to get that. That's never going to happen. So what happened? 100% response. And so well, what that meant was I got through to all of them and then all of them agreed to meet. So 100% meeting rate. All of them became clients as well. 100% conversion rate. So that was a campaign that was my first my first foray into what I was doing. I eventually called it contact marketing in, in how to get a meeting with anyone. But that was my first foray into it. And I had gotten, I mean, like that's supposed to all of that is supposed to be impossible. And in fact, as I spoke to all these people that became my contemporaries in the direct response field, I, I couldn't tell them what just happened. Because if I did, it was kind of like I, I was reporting a UFO. UFOs, the stigma is going away. But yeah. back then it was like, what are you nuts? You have no credibility whatsoever. So that's what happened though. And that campaign launched my business. It was worth millions of dollars to me. It cost me about $100 to run. And it went to 24 people. That's it. That's contact marketing. Needless to say, I'm a massive fan and I've been, ever since uh, you got on my radar, I've obviously been a student of the stuff that you've taught. And one of the things that, that I want to understand from your perspective, there's going to be a whole segment of population that says, oh, this is some direct mail guy that uh, 
you know, who knows if that's even relevant nowadays. But there's some fundamental principles that sellers of today can take from the entire contact marketing flow and psychology behind it and make it their own and and have it be just as effective. So tell us a little bit about what the fundamental principles are on why what you did was successful. How did it connect with the people that you're trying to get in front of? Yeah. And I, and I want to just respond real quickly to what you said. If anybody's yeah. thinking, well, obviously I'm not, uh, I didn't just graduate college, college shortly, but when I hear every once in a while, I hear, oh, that's old school. Sending something through the mail, that's old school. And, and I'm thinking, you fool. When I see these comments, I'm just thinking, what a fool. What, you've not been through a cycle yet where you see things return, come back. You've not been through the cycle of, of let's say, realizing that you're doing what everyone else is doing and not standing out, getting tired of not standing out. You've not through, been through any of that. So here's the deal. My response to that is use what works and just leave the rest of those extraneous thoughts and arguments out of it. Use what works. And so right now, everyone's trying to connect on LinkedIn, or they are connecting on LinkedIn and through other social media. They're, they're, LinkedIn is also a wasteland of spam as well, isn't it? We're getting all these automated requests for connections. And you can tell. it's Oh, I was looking through your, your profile, and I noticed that we know some of the same people, and I really enjoy your journey. I'd love to get together and have you tell me about it. Are you kidding me? That's utterly generic, and I'm not going to get on a phone call and tell you what I've done. Read it. And if you don't know, then we probably shouldn't be. There's, yep. there's no real reason to connect other than, I guess, you're racking up numbers or buying numbers. I don't know what you're doing, but I don't want to be part of it. If that's new school, I don't want to be part of that. It's really just dumb marketing. Just like ads over faxes used to be the newest thing. And it can be really just boneheaded marketing. There's a lot of boneheaded stuff that's happening out there. And so I'm just going to answer your question though. What's the So what's the relevance? I know how to get through to people. And because of that, I have almost a secret, well, either a secret weapon or a superpower. And it's a superpower you should have as well. I can get meetings with just about anyone. And what wouldn't be relevant about that if you're selling or if you're in business or if, you do, if you're alive? If so, we are alive, it, we have to get meetings. We talked about this in the beginning of the show. That is a critical success factor for any business. If you're in any business, you have to get meetings with critical buyers throughout your ecosystem, whoever they are. And there's one thing that you mentioned in your answer that, that I really want to draw out, which is you mentioned you have to figure out a way to stand out. If everybody yeah. is doing one thing, you have to find out, okay, how can I stand out from all the other bait fish that are going in one direction and how can I go the other direction? And that's been especially critical. And here's where it ties in. So I think, Stu, you and I connected probably about a year ago. And I sat in on one of your presentations. I got your books and your superpower, getting a meeting with anybody that you want. I don't have it as a superpower yet, but I actually adapted the principles of what you were talking about. And generally speaking, when I'm reaching out to somebody that I want to have a conversation with, eight out of 10 times, I'll convert those in meetings. And those meetings will turn into long-term relationships. And I operate from a place of curiosity. I'm, I'm constantly interested in all these interesting people that I could come across and they have great stories to tell. So I think if we're taking what you do and looking at fundamental principles, you have to be truly interested in the person that you're trying to get in front of and then build how you stand out so you can get recognized and build a relationship and, and turn that into it. So I think that's absolutely critical that you're talking about. So I want to make a little bit of a, 
of a shift into some of the other things that we're talking about. So you obviously have two books that you, you have nicely done. How to get a meeting with anyone and get the meeting. I just wanted to take a screenshot from my publisher. He's going to be happy to see that. And I'm not going to open them up because they're highlighted and marked on the side and everything. That's all right. So, yeah. I, I just dissected those. It's invaluable to anybody that is on the sales side of it. And obviously even on the marketing side, but there's so much great content in both of those, but you have a new book coming out and uh, that's what I want to dig into in terms of the conversation. When is your new book coming out? What's it called? And when is it coming out? It's called, I'll even hold it up. Yeah. Uh, it's how to grow your business like a weed. And it comes out June 1st. Nice. Cool book. I have already pre-ordered it on my Kindle. So it's, uh, it is uh, waiting for the release. So I'm already going to be, you know, marking that up there, but I want to dig into the weed concept. How did you land on that as a concept and tie it to business? What was the thought process there and what can we learn? Many years ago, I was driving down the Santa Monica freeway in LA and it was back when traffic moved really fast. I don't know if it still does. I don't think it does actually. And six lanes of traffic going one way, six lanes going the other way and about a 40 foot wide median in the middle. It's all concrete. It's no place for to take root. But as I was driving by, and this all just happened in a split second, but as I was driving along, I happened to notice this one dandelion growing from a crack in the concrete median. And it's just happily bouncing around. It had those kind of happy yellow flowers and the happy uh, seed pods that were blowing those happy little seeds around. It's just sitting there running its process from a crack in the concrete. And I just thought, that's so impressive. Look at what did that take for that to happen? And it it was significant that it wasn't like, it wasn't an apple tree. It wasn't a petunia. It wasn't a rose bush. Those plants couldn't cut it as a weed. They don't have what weeds have, unfair advantages. When you look at it, you you think, how on earth did that, how did that weed how did that dandelion get there? And then you think, we know because we see it all the time. They grow out of cracks everywhere. It got there because it has these seeds that blow around and they probe every possible opportunity to take. So I'm saying, and I'm looking at them also thinking, it doesn't look depressive. It's not thinking, shoot, I, look, at this sucks. I, I ended up in the middle of a freeway instead of at the beach. That's where I, that's where I pictured myself. And that's what we would do. We would do that, but it didn't care. It was just running it and it was running it with optimism and aggression and urgency. And so it was just, it was an incredible picture of what we should be doing in our business and how we should be acting in our careers, be expansive and and optimistic. And we should have processes that we've worked out. We should, anyway, so as I, as I drove along, I just thought, man, I hope I can live up to that example in my life, in my career and in my business. So you said something that really got me like excited. So you said probe every possible opportunity to connect yeah. or, or survive. Uh, I forgot the last piece of it, but probe every possible take opportunity. Root. Yeah. Take root. And that is such a phenomenal way of looking at things because when we, like we talked earlier about how, Hey, if the new school way of doing things is just to just inundate your audience with all sorts of stuff that's impersonal and, and nothing. Um, it's more like copy what everyone else is doing. Yeah. Follow along as and part of the herd. When you frame it in terms of probe every possible opportunity to take root, the way it, it, it connects to me, look for the connection with the other person. Like really look and, and try to understand that other person and, and look for a meaningful connection to start a relationship with. And that's the way. So not just like one way, you talked earlier about, hey, find what works and then do that. It's related to that, if I'm understanding you correctly. But what are your thoughts on that? Is that is, does that line up? When- it, does, it, it shows a bunch of things. One, 
Weeds never do anything without an unfair advantage. And neither should we should be building those. If we don't have unfair advantages, we won't stay in business. We won't have a career. Build unfair advantages into what you do. And by the way, you don't do that by following the herd either. So do things to stand out. Find ways to create impressions that cause people to, to take notice and to form the intent to transact with you in some way. It might be to do business with you. It might be to hire you. It might be to uh, follow you or friend you on, a, on, on whatever. Just subscribe to your channel, whatever it is, buy your books, et cetera, whatever it is, you want to put a lot of seeds out and just look at the example of, of all weeds. They don't put out tiny amounts of seeds. They put out lots of seeds and they're highly mobile. Most of them are in one way, one form or another, highly mobile. That's what we need to do in our businesses. And when we're talking about seeds, there's a whole model that has emerged from this and that's in the book. We all know what it means to grow like a weed, but we're not stopping to say, but wait a minute, how are they doing it? I think we're all saying, oh my gosh, what a pest, look at that. You know, If we stop and think about what it is they're doing, what strategies they're using and tools and what are the attributes that they're using to make things happen the way they do because they're just such voracious competitors for ground, then we can see that there, there's a lot to inspire us, a lot to teach us a lot we can learn just by watching what they're doing. It gives me some foundational <clears throat> principles, but I want to tie this back. You've built this track record and this experience of creating unfair advantages throughout your career in any number of things. I would even say your story about how you met your wife. That's just unfair how that happened too. And how can I, as a not cartoonist, build an unfair advantage in terms of my business success? How would you coach somebody out there in the world to, to think about what that looks like? First of all, we all have different unfair advantages. So your unfair advantage won't look like mine necessarily. It would be odd. For example, you wouldn't have had the, the background with all these great cartoonists. And why would you need to? You're, you have a PhD. So that's, you could call that an unfair. That's a great advantage. That's a yep. great place. I don't know what you studied. I hope you'll tell us, but actually do tell us. My doctoral research, it's actually an EDD. It's not a PhD, but that's okay. That's quibbling, but it's an organization. Slow. It's my official piece of paper that says I'm a big ass nerd, but it's in organizational leadership. It's specifically in why people join and leave organizations. So when I've always been in talent related spaces and it gives me, you know, certain insights that the average person probably doesn't, but you're hitting at yeah. something yeah. that is, I almost yelled when you said it, like unfair advantage doesn't mean you have to be me or you, each person, and um, Steve Watt of Seismic talks about this. Everybody is a subject matter expert in something. So get aligned with that part of it, and that's your unfair advantage. So I think that's a brilliant point that, that you brought out. But I, I definitely want to go back to your story and talk through how you've built these unfair oh, yeah, advantages. True. I think one, one, I've got a couple of them that I think are, or traits, we'll call them at least. I'm really quite mischievous. If I can cause a little bit of mischief, then I'm really happy. And that shows up in my campaigns. And and But it also, I don't know, it, it just seems there's just this fundamental thing that happens in society where people are afraid to take risks and they're afraid to stand out. And as a result of that, what they're really trying to do is fit in all the time. And what you end up doing is not fitting in or you're not fitting in very well because of that, I think, or being invisible because of that, certainly. And I've always, just, I don't know, I, I didn't set out this way. It's just when I was creating direct mail and, and I was using humor and using cartoons, David Ogilvy, he's the original familiar. thought leader in marketing and advertising. He okay. was the founder of Ogilvy and Mather. And he wrote a, a seminal book, but basically he was it. He was the guru of marketing and advertising. 
And he, I don't know where he came, how he came to the conclusion that humor didn't work because I knew that according to readership surveys, cartoons were almost always the best read and remembered parts of magazines and newspapers. So that's a huge, those are collective works. Everything in there is supposed to be memorable and get your attention and, and, and give you insight. So cartoons have a huge advantage there. And then if you think about the nature of humor, it's about truth revealed in a twist. When we laugh at something while we're still trying to catch our, our breath from laughing, we're saying, oh my God, that's so funny. That's so true. Yeah. It's truth. funny because it's true. If it's not true, then it's just, you scratch your head and say, I don't get it. So a cartoon does some really amazing things instantly. It grabs your attention. It commands your attention. And then, and then it plants this point of agreement almost sub subliminally. If you laugh, you're, we're already done. We've already, it's already done what it needs to do. I've already convinced you. And then in the copy that goes with it, if it was a direct mail piece, I just need to amplify that and explain why, it, how it relates to you and I, and why we should meet next or what, why you should respond to the offer or something, why you should do something. And I knew that would work, but no one, the people that were just following like sheep, just, I don't know, they, they weren't getting it. And as soon as I had a chance to show it, it showed. I have, the, I have an incredible track record of, of record-breaking campaigns in the direct response industry from a long time ago. I'm not active in it, but from a long time ago, that was the legacy that I left behind. That's, you know, and so that just keeps happening. I don't know, for some reason, it keeps happening in my life. The combination of mischief and saying, wait a minute, you know, we could, this and this could combine in a different way. And, and those things have just been, they've been magic for me. You're right. I met my wife after spotting her in penthouse and flying to Copenhagen. And I don't know how that worked out, but it worked. And <laughs> the best, most important meeting I ever had in my life. And, and I, I would say the Weeds book is also that. Right now, everybody knows what it means to grow like a weed. But when I do these interviews, when I talk to people, the first thing that happens is I get some dumbass joke about weed. You mean this kind of weed? I'm not talking about that. Thank you. Can we get past that now? You're like, great. So then then the next thing is, you mean those, you mean, aren't they just pests? You know, we, we're trying to get rid of them. Yeah. But why do you think they're a pest? What's going on? What are they doing that causes you to come to that conclusion? If you think about it, you'll realize how awesome a, a set of guides they are. And suddenly they're going, oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Look how they spread their seeds. And oh my God, look at everything they do is done through an unfair advantage. Geez, yes, we should be doing that in our business. So people realize it. But here's the thing. I'm walking into this as an underdog. Everyone thinks weeds are either it's the weed you smoke or it's organic trash. It's just junk in your yard. But And, and, and I'll say that most of the publishers, including my then present publisher, wouldn't even touch it. They thought, huh. mm, no, I don't see it. I don't see how. But finally, one, one career press took a chance with us. And so in an improbable way, here it is. Now, here's I'm going to tell you something, Jim. I know it's going to sound crazy. I'm going to, I know it's going to sound like, well, egotistical, all kinds of things that I don't really, I don't think I am. But I think this book is going to be the top, the top title in business growth strategy in the world. I don't think it'll happen because we read, because of the launch, because of publicity or anything like that. I think it's just because people know what it means to grow like a weed. That's known and, and it's a cultural expression all over the world. As these, as the book comes out, so have weeds all over the Northern Hemisphere and later in the year, all over the Southern Hemisphere. Weeds are all around us everywhere. They're like my meme. And so I think people are going to look at it. Oh my God. Yeah. But you're right. These, the, the weeds, look what they're doing. They're awesome as competitors. And, and as, I don't know, just as examples of what we should do 
to grow. That's the kinds of things we need to do to grow our businesses. By the way, not you could grow a country with this. I think it's actually the th- weed strategy is the theory of everything about growing anything. You just look and it's just amazing example, amazing examples all around you, all kinds of, and they do it in all kinds of ways, but they are showing you how to grow your business, how to grow your career. Throughout the conversation, we've talked in various ways about being different, uh, about standing out. And when you tie it into the weed concept or growing like a weed concept, think about what weeds do. They're basically indestructible. We've invented all sorts of things to kill them and they keep coming back. But if you're thinking about standing out, you have this green lawn, a single blade of grass doesn't stand out from any other blade of grass. But if a weed or some sort of weed pops up, you notice it right away. And when you apply it to business or work or standing out from your competition or anything like that, those principles carry over. Like, how can I demonstrate the ultimate survivability by being different from what everybody else is doing? Let me respond to that a little bit, because the thing is, in in contact marketing, I'm saying, you better stand out. You better stand out. You're reaching out to someone. You're interrupting them. and They need to know real quickly who you are and why this is worth their time, worth another second of their time, literally. So there you want to stand out. Uh, but in weed strategy, it's a lot more than standing out. We're building maybe an unfair advantage through our contact marketing, right? If, if we're able to get meetings with, with virtually anyone, that is, that is an unfair advantage. But there are lots of unfair advantages. Your location could be an unfair advantage. I don't know. You just We talked about your degree could be an unfair advantage. Cartooning is an unfair advantage for me. They're just, there are a lot of them. I, and I, I know I've just left that rather sparse in terms of examples, but there are all, if you watch and, and very successful businesses, they have unique unfair advantages. And, and that's what we have to cultivate in our businesses as well. So standing out isn't necessarily, that's not the, that, that's very important in contact marketing, but weed strategy is, it's much broader than that much more inclusive of existence. You you referenced this earlier in the conversation where you said you've actually been a model for business success based yeah. on weeds. If we're taking weed strategy into a model and operationalizing it, walk us through what that looks like. So that's the thing. Weeds come in all shapes and sizes and some are perennials, some are annuals, all kinds of stuff. There are little tiny ones to entire trees. Are, some entire trees are considered weeds. So they're all very different plants, but they all follow the same formula. And that is they leverage a fierce mindset. We'll have to come back to that because how could a, how could something with our brain have a, have a mindset? But they do. You can see it. They do. So they leverage a fierce mindset and unfair advantage against against a collective scale. And they do it according to a process that has been honed over millions of years, but is able to adapt on a dime and instantly to any threat or any challenge and evolve right around it. And as they do it, that that process is just baked into their DNA. They don't have to train anyone. They don't have to watch videos or or read manuals. It's just baked into their DNA. So that's how they do it. Should we unpack that a little bit? Like how how could a weed, how could any plant have a mindset if they don't have a brain? But I think it could, I think we could acknowledge that when you see how weeds act, both both individually and then en masse, you can see that they have there's a collective intelligence about them. So that intelligence doesn't reside in a brain, but it's there. It's undeniable. And we can see that when we, let's say you, you mentioned, we try to get rid of weeds and they always come back. That's persistent. And they do it fast. That's urgency. And, and they do it fast. And they, I would also call that aggressiveness. And they never give up. They, they're resilient. They are adaptable. 
or adaptive. And finally, I think they're actually optimistic. If we define optimism as the absence of pessimism, or let's say the absence of depression, and we can see depression being acted out. When we're depressed, shut down. We don't do the things that we should be doing. We don't do the things that we enjoy doing. We close our, our lives down, stop doing the things that we should be doing to pull ourselves up. It's just a downward spiral. One begets the next and that just it just keeps doing. So if we can combine, rather if we can define optimism as the absence of depression or depressive actions, then weeds are absolutely optimistic because they're just ready to go. They don't they're not worried. They don't have these. They, they just deal with what is. They don't think about oh gosh I'm I'm so disappointed because this happened. If I had if this thing hadn't happened, I'd be so much further along. I'd be that far ahead of where I am now. Or just they don't deal with any of those things. Yeah. They just deal with what is. I was writing this down as uh, as you were saying it. And earlier in the conversation you were talking about it's odd that we give the phrase or the word mindset to a plant. I wrote down everything that you said. Persistency, urgency, aggressiveness, resilience, adaptability, optimism. And if you look the most successful people in the world or however you want to define success at the individual level, they'll have one or more of each of these traits. So when we're trying to answer the question, how do you create an unfair advantage for yourself? How do you grow like a weed? Those attributes that you listed, those are mindset. Yeah. They're they're absolutely like an unwillingness to give up or capitulate. That's the roadmap for you to continuously probe, like we talked about earlier and to continuously remain curious. And that's the, one of the, one of my favorite things that you've ever said is when you go out in the world, go out with the intention of being bold and audacious. Don't be vanilla, be bold and audacious. And you tie all of that into the weed concept or the weed model of growing your business. I, I think you have a recipe for a really interesting book. And obviously I've already pre-ordered it. I'm going to read it, but I think that there's something there. No, that's a fantastic layout, Stu. I, I appreciate you spelling that out. When we think about any of the other things that stood out while you were going through the process of writing the book, what else stood out as you were researching the concept of weeds or applying this model? I think the way to answer that is if weeds could talk, I think there are a few things they would really like us to understand. One, I I just mentioned it, deal with what is, not what you thought would be or thought you deserved. Deal with what is. Because otherwise, you're wasting a lot of energy and a lot of time. You're wasting other people's attention. Deal with what is. Get on with it. And it's such a simple thought, but it, it is so helpful to focus on that. When, particularly when you're, going, when you're going through something rough, so helpful to focus on that because you pull right on through. Another one, another one is that we never do anything without an unfair advantage. Neither should you. That's a good one. But one of the ones that there were a lot of aha moments in this because I've had a business for a long time. And I've settled into some bad habits, I guess I would call them, or I don't know, just natural habits. But as I was reading, or rather, as I was writing the book and then rereading it and editing it, so I'm, I'm realizing, oh my God, I'm just, I'm making so many mistakes here in my business. One of them happens to be just the issue of scale or scaling like a weed. The thing is, we're all taught as humans, we're taught to become self-sufficient. That's a valued trait. We start, I, I don't know when we start, but certainly one of the earlier experiences that might be when we play musical chairs in kindergarten or something and the music stops the first time and you think where's my chair who took my chair everyone did and you didn't so get with it 
And then from that point on, you don't let that happen. And, and so you're becoming self-sufficient. And then told to study hard, get good grades, get into a great school, get a great job. But you cannot scale jobs. You can't get a you can't have a thousand jobs. So that's all one-to-one leverage. Whereas weeds operate at collective scale, we're operating, most of us are operating at one-to-one leverage. And if you're an entrepreneur, you have to be really these entrepreneurs are very self-sufficient people. So they have to fight this kind of this instinct to do everything themselves. And that's really where it is. That's really where it, where it lies. Is if if you take on everything yourself, if you're part of the deliverables, if you're if you're doing everything, if you're saying, well, I I could teach myself how to do that rather than hire someone to to do it for you. You probably could teach yourself to do it. How much time do you have? How long do you want all of this to take? And how big do you want? How much do you want to limit scaling? Because that's really what's happening. There's a paradox. The more self sufficient you are the more likely you are to squelch scaling whatever it is you're doing. And I've done that. So there's an antidote for that. And that is to jump quickly from one-to-one or root out all forms of one-to-one leverage in what you do and start jumping to multi-channel scales, forming alliances quickly and, and start reaching into other people's networks and sales channels and so forth and helping them do the same. And it's, it's actually a lot like Vine strategy in the weeds model, you're borrowing the vines have almost no infrastructure. They're tube and, and roots, but they also have graspers and they go up and they climb everything nearby. They, like if there's a, if there's a tree nearby, they're going to climb up to the crown of the tree and gather all of the, the grass, the best position for, for sunlight, which is what all plants, sunlight is like, it's fuel. It's water and sunlight are, are nutrients or fuel to plants, just like sales are for businesses. So they're yeah. gathering all of that. But they borrow the infrastructure of others to gain dominant access to critical infrastructure, but also critical, just critical resources to grow. And so start to form alliances. And I've been doing that. And it, it's really interesting. You can form all kinds of alliances for all kinds of reasons. And as you do it, your business will grow. You'll watch. It'll just explode just from that. So one of the things that I always talk about with my my sales teams is you have to give two or three times more than what you ask. And fundamentally, it's rooted in the concept of generosity. Like, how are you helping to advance the other person's agenda or the other person's initiative, whatever is important to the customer? And I'm seeing some parallels, and maybe I might be mistaken, but I think that is that the angle that you're hitting at when you talk about alliances because these are mutually beneficial relationships. Like how can you advance somebody else's relationship, which will ultimately help you advance? You can, it depends on what position, the relative positions of the participants here, but I, I regularly team with other authors. It's That whole community is wonderful. It's just naturally, they're naturally collaborators. And so we do a lot to, to, uh, to collaborate together and that, that makes things bigger. And, and they have that I don't have. And if I share revenue with them on my big board program, and that's, that's our device to get through to, that's how we help sales teams get through, is through our, our big board campaigns. And so they have access to, to clients I don't have, especially the other sales authors. <laughs> They've got lots of clients I don't have. So just a few introductions, boom. You have to know who to even reach out to. They know this. They know these people. And so they, they're a shortcut to growing your business. And you can be a shortcut to them, or at least share revenue and something like that. But I'm also sticking with authors for a moment. I've also put together a group that I arranged to have speakers come in. And it's a group of authors who are, we've banded together to figure out how 
We're looking for unconventional ways to sell more books and to create more influence from our books. And so we're looking at product placement and interesting ways bulk purchases to happen or brand partnerships, et cetera. There are all kinds of ways to, to do this. And I'm facilitating all this for, I don't know, about 20 authors now. And so I'm helping them and they're helping me. And it's a great... All of us, our, our enterprises are bigger because of it. So it, it's just the more you, the more alliances you create, the better, the better your chances are. Really, you will grow. Your your business will grow. If you're in sales, the more the more referral partnerships or, or sources you you cultivate, the more your sales career will grow and your numbers will grow. And it's just we don't. Here's the thing: when you see a dandelion in your lawn, if you saw just one, it wouldn't be a problem. It wouldn't be a force to to deal with at all. You just pluck it up and you're done. But dandelions don't operate that way. You mentioned lawn, and so if you see if you see a dandelion in your lawn, just one, just look up and you'll see at least dozens if not hundreds out there, they don't do anything. They, everything they do is in collective scale. And because of that, everything they do is quite powerful. Of course, they also, they're, as I mentioned, they're, they're leveraging their mindset, their fierce mindset and unfair advantages against the collective scale, which makes them almost, well, it's, you can defeat them in a little square plot of land, but you cannot defeat them. Yeah. They're not going yeah. away. They're winning. I could, uh, I, I could talk about this stuff with you and all your other books for quite a while. I'm encouraging everybody to go find uh, go find Stu's book, Grow Your Business Like a Weed. It will be out June 1st, everywhere. I would definitely encourage everybody to go ahead and get it. Stu, uh, a couple of things before we wrap up. Where can people find you? Where are you most active if they want to find your book, if they want to you know, connect with you? I get, if you know how to spell my name, you can... I would encourage you to go to the to my author site. That's just my name, stuheinick.com. So you can go there or you can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. That's that's great to do too. Just mention that you that you saw me on, on this podcast and then we have a reason to connect instead of just a generic one. But yeah, those two things would, would be great. I'm building a YouTube channel, but there's nothing to, to brag about yet. So you could look, but yeah, needs to go there. I I, uh, I feel you on the YouTube bit. We're uh, we're bootstrapping that for our podcast too. But that's th- this was a phenomenal conversation, and I think uh, the key things that the people will walk away with this is just a taste of what's going to be in the book. So if you're definitely interested in how do you get meetings with anybody that you want to get in front of, how do you grow your business like a weed, how do you create an unfair advantage in your business, how do you spread like a weed from a business perspective, these are all things and more that are going to be covered in Stu's latest book. And certainly, if you want a roadmap to get in front of anybody, I would definitely encourage people to pick up, get the meeting and how to get a meeting with anybody. They're invaluable and it gives you a lot of ideas that you can adapt to your own superpowers, not Stu's, yours. So I would definitely encourage that. But Stu, appreciate you coming on the show. Our podcast, Cascading Leadership, is found on most, if not most of the major podcast platforms. You can find us on YouTube, on TikTok. Our primary channel is LinkedIn, so you can find us there. Make sure you like this show or any of our other shows. You like, subscribe, share, comment. Let's let's get it uh, as big as possible. But Stu, appreciate you coming on the show. And it was a, a super fun conversation. So thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Jim. A great pleasure to be with you. Thank you for listening to this episode of Cascading Leadership. We hope you enjoyed the story as much as we did. Make sure you subscribe to our show on your favorite podcast player. Follow us on YouTube, TikTok, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Facebook. Leave us a review. Tell a friend. If you're interested in sponsoring the show, reach out to me at jim at cascadingleadership.com. 
Tune in next time for another great episode that will help you move your career further faster.